welcome to Australian VBAC Stories. We're your hosts, Amy, Bronwyn, Caitlin and Georgia. This podcast is for you, the women and parents of Australia, to share your journey to vaginal birth after caesarean and to listen to those who forged the path before. Whether you've had a VBAC or planned one, supported someone through one or simply want to learn more, we hope this will be a resource that inspires, informs and celebrates all unique experiences. This podcast is produced on Darug and Gundangara country. Hi everyone, welcome to this episode of Australian VBAC Stories. Today we have Just Me Georgia interviewing. So you'll just have to yeah put up with Just Me today, unfortunately, but I do have the lovely Tiani here who is going to share her VBAC journey with us. So thanks for being here, Tiani. Thank you for having me. No worries. Great to have you. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your family? Yes, definitely. So my name's Tiani. I live um, in the Hunter Valley just outside of Newcastle with myself, my husband, Quinn. Uh, We have two little girls. Um, My eldest daughter is two and a half and my youngest is five months today. Oh, beautiful. Um, Yeah, so it's just us at home and we have a dog. (laughs) Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. And um, I'd love to know, we always love to know, what ideas did you have about birth and becoming a mother before you conceived the first time? Yeah. So my journey to pregnancy for my first um, first daughter took a while. So it was nearly two years total to conceive her. Um, and I guess during that time, I did spend a lot of time figuring out my ideas of what I thought about birth and to me birth was always kind of you know very normal very natural very just you know uh kind of like you just you just did it you just showed up and you just did it um simple I guess I didn't really overthink it um I just kind of was like yep I'll I'll get pregnant and I'll just have my baby um and it kind of wasn't until I was pregnant that I started to think about I guess the different ways that that could happen Beautiful. And would you be able to please tell us um, about the journey to your cesarean birth? Yeah, definitely. Um, So yeah, like I said, my journey to falling pregnant did take a little while. Um, It was in the end a natural pregnancy. And in the end, it it was actually a bit of a surprise. (laughs) It's kind (laughs) of like, you know, when you when you go on a break, and you go, no, I'm just not doing it anymore. I'm not trying anymore. I don't care. And then next minute, (laughs) you're pregnant. Um, So yeah, it was it was kind of a bit like that, which was which was a love which is lovely for us. Um, But yeah, fell pregnant, had a very normal pregnancy. And as soon as I fell pregnant, I obviously started to think about how I was going to have this baby. And I'd always thought about home birth, prior to falling pregnant. I had always, you know, seen, always been in spaces where I'd seen birth videos. Um, I'd heard birth stories. I hear the way people talk about birth and I was always really interested in home birth. And I didn't know if it was for me or not, but I was very interested. Um, And pretty much as soon as I fell pregnant, I thought, you know what, why not? Why not me? (laughs) Um, That could be something that I do. (laughs) Why not? Um, And then, so from there, yep, I decided that I wanted to have a home birth. I ended up engaging um, with a private midwife that obviously I got onto quite early at the time um, of having this baby. So around, yeah, 2020, 2021, um, there wasn't a lot of options in my area for private midwives. So it was kind of like there was one option and you either got in or you didn't get in. Um, and so I was lucky enough to to get in with her and, um, you know, had a very 
normal, healthy pregnancy, nothing major. It was just, just kind of ticked along. It felt like it went for a really long time. I ended (laughs) up um, going into labor at 42 weeks and five days. Um, So it was a very long pregnancy. Yeah. Um, But that was another reason that I was planning a home birth as well is because I knew that I had a maternal history of uh, post-dates pregnancies in my family. And I knew that I wasn't necessarily going to have a good time if I was to have a long pregnancy. Um, Mm. And my goal obviously was to have a physiological birth. And I just wanted to be as far away from that hospital system as possible. Um, So yeah, had a very, very normal pregnancy, literally nothing to even say about that because it was just so normal, which is so lovely. And I'm very grateful for that. Uh, Except yes, in the end got very, very long and even in terms of that labor up until I guess the point of transfer and the point of cesarean, even that labor, even the, um, yeah, the labor itself was pretty non-eventful. You know, it was kind of like a really typical contraction started through the night, kind of didn't really fizzle out, but they were kind of spread out sporadic. I kind of napped on and off throughout the night come maybe seven o'clock in the morning. And we were definitely in kind of active labor at that point. Um, Contractions just slowly getting, you know, more and more intense, closer and closer together until we got to about lunchtime. Um, And then from that point onwards, I guess we would call that the second stage of um, that labor. Mm. That's when, uh, not that it all went to pieces, but that's when it kind of got a little bit outside of the norm um, in terms of, I guess, what my private midwife was comfortable with. So it ended Mm -hmm. up, um, technically speaking, we ended up with a a prolonged labor, a very obstructed baby. So um, my daughter, I think the word, yeah, my daughter was asynclitic where their head is slightly to the side when they enter the pelvis. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So obviously she had a hard time navigating the pelvis um, and um, which, yeah, led to a long second stage, which I guess then led to maternal exhaustion on top of that. And Mm -hmm. then, um, you know, questions about whether or not we transfer kind of thing. Um, And it's hard to, it's not hard to talk about, but I reflect back and I tell the story and I think knowing what I know now, I would have done a lot of things differently. Um, (laughs) Like I wouldn't necessarily have transferred, but at the time that's just kind of, it was just what we were doing. Um, There wasn't really Mm -hmm. any questions about it. I didn't necessarily feel supported in that. I even really had a choice if you get what I mean. It was kind of like, okay, it's been three hours, we better go. Like, you know, we Mm -hmm. can give another half a, but then we've got to go. Like I really, and honestly, looking back, I really did feel on the clock, which Mm -hmm. is not going to help anything. Um, Yeah. So made the decision to transfer. And this was probably at about four o'clock in the afternoon. I think at that point, Um, Mm -hmm. we just, my husband drove me, we went in the car, we went to the hospital. I was still in really good spirits at this point because I knew I was having a baby really soon. Um, Mm. I felt, you know, she was really low. I could feel her head. Like she was really low. I knew she was right there. I'd spoken to my midwife about, um, throughout the pregnancy, we'd spoken a lot about what transfers look like. And, Mm -hmm. um, because I guess it, it wasn't a fear as such, but I was very aware of, you know, I want a home birth and that's what I want. And that's what I'm, I'm hoping for. So anything outside of that, isn't that, um, and I wanted to Mm -hmm. know what to expect if I was to go outside of that, um, which is what happened. Um, Mm. and she told me that, you know, normally when you transfer that the staff are fairly nice to you because they know that you don't want to be there. They're understanding, you know, they 
they, you know, talk to her as the midwife and to give a handover, mm-hmm. so to speak, as to what's happened throughout their labor. Um, and yeah, so when we were still at home, I said, okay, like we'll go to the hospital, but what will happen there? Um, like what, what can I expect going in there? And she said, oh, they'll probably, um, offer you an epidural, like take it if you want it. Um, and then they'll probably give you, um, some of the syntocin to get your contractions going. Cause at the, at that point of transfer, everything had kind of slowed down, which again, looking back, I'm like, oh, what did I, I didn't, I didn't know any different that, you know, now I look at that and I think, of course, that's what happened. Of course that would happen. She was trying to reposition herself, but now, but at the time mm. I, you know, I didn't know that. And I, and you know, I'm, I am glad I didn't know that. I, I, I'm glad my story is my story, but yeah, I, I asked her, I said, you know, what would a transfer look like? You know, we're going to the hospital. What's going to happen? This is what I said to her. I said, so like no C-section. She's like, oh no, like your, your baby's right there. You can feel her head. Like, you know, she's mm-hmm. coming out of your vagina and I was like oh sweet Mm -hmm. okay let's go like let's Mm -hmm. go and you know like I said I was I was going there in good spirits I was going there like oh this is an adventure I didn't plan on a hospital birth but like you know no stressy that's where we're going we're going to have a baby I called my mum on the way and I called my husband's mum just to let them know that um hey we're just on the way to the hospital everything's all good we're just going to the hospital and just so you know you'll probably get a photo with the baby probably wrapped in a hospital blanket but it's okay like everything's okay (laughs) So I was feeling really positive, really, you know, really happy, happy to be having my baby, I guess. Um, And we went to the hospital and, you know, we met, we spoke to a couple of midwives and they were really lovely. And then we came in this obstetrician and, you know, I have a lot of trauma from this birth and pretty much the start and the end of it revolves around this one female obstetrician. Um, she just, as soon as she walked in the room, like actually said to my midwife, like, I don't want her to touch me. Like, I just knew straight away that she was just not, not for me. I didn't want her anywhere near me. Um, and so, yeah, up until that point, I was treated quite respectfully. They were asking me questions, you know, they offered me epidural. I said, no, thank you. Um, and then, yeah, this female obstetrician came in and said, you know, what are you even, what are you doing here? Like, what did you think you were doing? Like she was, you know, kind of razzing me while I was still you know in labor my baby hadn't been born yet and she was not impressed with me being there basically um but also you know obviously she would have wanted me there but you know she just she wasn't happy that about my set of circumstances my my home birth transfer um and so she kind of well she did literally she created a a bit of a backstory of what she thought was happening um and so her understanding of what was happening I found out later on is that she thought that you know I was at home with my husband not that there's anything wrong if this was happening but it's just not true just you know laboring like birthing unassisted and that um I thought my baby had gotten stuck so I just called a random midwife that I knew to come over and help me and then we went to the hospital that was that was her that's what she when we spoke the next day that's what she understood to be true which is very obviously not true so basically she didn't listen to anything that my midwife had said um she just kind of wrote her off as nothing uh I actually do think she reported her to be honest um it was yeah it was not good because she was trying to get all her details off me as well um she said um let me check you broke my waters my waters hadn't broken at that point and said um oh well there's mech in the waters so we'll have to do a c-section and um and I, I said, you know, no, no, let's 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 not do that. Like that's not that doesn't seem like the right thing to do. Plus everything had suddenly everything had gone from relatively calm, just happening, to very rushy very quickly. 
And I was like, no, no, let's let's just slow it all down a little bit. Like, let's just chill. Um, and she said, okay, well, if you don't want a C-section, we can try to use forceps. And I said, okay, that, that sounds great. And at the time, that sounded like my preference. That sounded like a great idea. Um, so we kind of, you know, signed the consent. That, so that was kind of what the consent form had said, that we were um, going to attempt a forceps birth. And then obviously um, the cesarean is kind of like, if that doesn't work, um, or that's what I thought was, you know, the plan, because that it was the plan that we'd all discussed. Um, and basically she never really wanted to, there was never going to, it was never forceps in her mind. There was never going to be an attempt of forceps. It was just to, it felt like coercion, to be honest. It felt like they were just kind of, or she, it wasn't they, it was really only her. It was just saying what she needed to say to get me to sign the piece of paper, to get me to go upstairs so she could do a C-section. Because once we were up there, um, obviously in an emergency cesarean, your partner can't be with you while you're getting the um, anesthetic in. And so he was outside and she was outside talking to him saying, look, your wife has a high BMI. This is probably over a five kilo baby. We can't use forceps or we'll have to break the baby's collarbone. Um, you know, all this kind of fear mongering. And he was out there. He did really well. He was out there saying, that's fine. That's fine. Just try. Just do what you can. That's what she wants. Um, because that is what I wanted. I didn't want to have a cesarean. I didn't obviously realize this until much later. And then she was coming back into me and, basically saying the same thing like we can't really do this you shouldn't have been doing this at home like just really 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 nasty that's when I started to learn that she thought I was just at home by myself and you know whatever else which again there's no problem with that it just wasn't true and then she started saying you know well you didn't do the gestational diabetes test so you've probably got diabetes as well and this baby isn't going to be well born and just you know so many assumptions that just weren't true and these questions were never asked they were just assumed the whole time um and so yeah in the end she stopped talking to me because I just wasn't talking back and she stopped talking to my husband because he wasn't giving her the answers that she wanted so he, yeah she started talking to the um and Ethan isn't just telling him all these things um and I don't remember what he was saying back and in the end I just said okay that's fine like that's that's what that's what we're going to do that's fine because it was all coming back to I think we should just do a c-section I think we should just do a c-section I don't think we should try with the forceps we just need to do a c-section um and so in the end I consented to just doing a c-section um and it was just shortly after that that my husband had had come back in and he said, you know, he had done really well with his job, which was just, you know, hold the line and no, don't consent to anything outside of what we've discussed. Um, and he said, oh, they, they said we're doing a C-section. Is that okay with you? And I said, no, that's fine. Like it's, it's happening now. That's just what's happening. Like we've just got to do what they're saying. Like we're not getting out of here any other way is what it felt like. It felt really like I was trapped. Um, and even then, even though I felt like, you know, every, you know, piece of dignity had been stripped away from me and my voice was totally taken from me, I was still really excited about, you know, being there and I was about to meet my baby for the first time. Like I was so, because um, again, I looked at the experience like, okay, well, I've never had a surgery before. Like, this is really cool. Like everyone's got their jobs. Like I was really interested in that whole dynamic because I'd had really limited experiences even with hospitals up until then. So I was still, you know, optimistic and excited and, you know, I, I felt very strongly that my baby was really healthy and that she was going to be okay regardless of how she was born. And so I wasn't worried about her well-being and her health. I was, it was definitely more so, uh, if anything, myself and recovery and everything like that that I was kind of thinking of um, when I said I didn't want to have a cesarean birth at all. <clears throat> and so at this point, uh, my daughter was born at 6.45 p.m., 
So it had been, I guess, by the time we got to the hospital, an hour or two after that. Um, and she was born and her APGAR scores, scores weren't great at birth. I don't recall exactly what they were, but as per, you know, a fair few other cesarean babies, she came out a little bit, you know, mucusy, not breathing great. It didn't take long for her to uh, pick back up and be, you know, totally fine. She didn't have any, she didn't require any special care or anything like that. Um, she was born, yeah, relatively healthy, just a, just a C-section bub. She kind of got brought over to my husband um they did say we might need to take her to the nursery we only have you know whatever oxygen here and I said yeah that's okay and then you know she started breathing on her own and she was fine after that um and then I started to hemorrhage so in that birth I lost two and a half liters of blood so two and a half liter PPH and also during that surgery as well so during that birth because my daughter was really uh, deep in my pelvis, she was quite obstructed. So they used a couple of different methods. I obviously didn't realize at the time I'd never had a C-section. Um, they used a couple of different methods to try and get her out. But I also ended up with an inverted T incision on my uterus as well, um, which I'm sure didn't really help with the hemorrhage either. With, I guess, those things together, I did end up in ICU that night which also in hindsight and that experience wasn't terrible because it meant I got a really lovely sleep. <laughs> so it was kind of, by the time I got there, it was probably 11 PM. My daughter was brought to me. We had a nice cuddle. Um, obviously I was really disappointed that I didn't get to have her with me, but after, you know, they took her back to the nursery, my husband was with her and I just slept for a couple of hours, um, which was, you know, ultimately I look back now I didn't get that with my second birth but I look back now and I think oh that was that was a little bit that was restful that was nice but um yeah and then we did I think only a day or so in hospital and then I discharged myself that obstetrician was trying to get me in for five days um I wasn't going to stay there for that long you know the those kind of maternity wards on the in the public hospitals they are hectic and it was, you know, obviously really noisy, lots going on and just absolutely like the furthest place from where I wanted to be. And so I left, but not without, you know, a lot of lectures from this particular obstetrician who was, yeah, like I said, nasty to me from the moment she saw me. She didn't like me. She didn't, she was, yeah, it was like she was, you know, the school principal that was disgusted in my behaviour is what it really felt like. Um mm. And yeah, and so when she, even when she came around to see me in recovery in ICU, the first thing she said to me wasn't even, you know, explain about the surgery or anything. She said, you know, what what's your choice of contraception? Like we've got to sort out oh. contraception. And I was like, oh, we don't, but thank you. But, you know, I think we'll be okay. Um, yeah, it was bad. And she said to me, and, you know, I wish I was joking when I say this, but she literally said to me, if you attempt that again and come back to this hospital, we won't treat you, which is, oh. you know, so untrue. And I knew it was untrue. And that's a lot of big part of my trauma as well is she was saying things to me that I knew weren't true. And I just had to smile and nod and say, okay, to get her to leave the room. But I knew they weren't true. And they were also really hurtful. Um, you know, we saved your baby's life. We saved your life. Um, you know, what you did, you, you, you know, you could have killed your baby and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I just said, yeah, okay, no worries. Thank mm. you. Really appreciate that. Like, thanks so much. <laughs> um, mm. But yeah, she said, you know, if you don't have a baby for three years, she said that as well with no. And I said, oh, why three years? Like I knew that was a really big number that she was throwing out there. 
Um, she didn't give me a reason. She just um, she said, you know, don't have a baby for three years. You'll never be able to labor on that scar again. But I said, okay, no worries. Um, and yeah, that don't don't ever attempt another home birth or don't come back to this hospital because you will not be treated. Mm. Um, so you know that obviously being untrue and also being really unfair and unreasonable and being you know. 12 hours post baby like 12 hours still in ICU like 12 hours post surgery um you know it's just a lot um yeah so she was I just needed to I don't know if I would have stayed in hospital longer if she wasn't my doctor but it was kind of like it just really felt like every time she spoke to me she was just trying to push a point and every time she's like she didn't actually care about me whatsoever or my baby um and that was the other thing she actually said to me when she saw me in ICU she said how big was the baby like she wanted to be right about the baby's weight um and she was you know 4.05 kilos so she was big but she wasn't she wasn't over five kilos or anywhere close to it and so you could tell she was a little bit disappointed that it wasn't a bigger bubba (laughs) um because she wasn't quite right about that but yeah it was just you know it was a really difficult experience to then come down for um you know going home and trying to just make peace with that story knowing that I'd been you know literally abused in so many ways like from this care provider who showed literally no care um it was quite difficult so we came home we had a healthy baby um I was very on edge from that experience it was not you know it's also one of those things that I didn't realize how on edge I was until months later until I realized you know that I was very much still living in a traumatized state um I had a lot of PTSD symptoms early on so for example um you know my baby was like three days old I couldn't I couldn't nap during the day like I couldn't relax I couldn't I could hardly sleep without having just these really intense flashbacks of these really vivid you know being spoken to or even just during the surgery just kind of in my brain viewing it in a different way um um Mm. like you know your body just wouldn't wouldn't relax like it was really Mm. really really difficult um and yeah, so I had a lot of a lot of anxiety post that birth. And I had, like I said, a lot of PTSD symptoms early on. The only thing that I can look back and think was good in that time was that I knew straight away that I'd been traumatized. I wasn't like, oh, is this normal? Is this not normal? I was like, wow, I got the exact experience I was avoiding. Um, you know, I wanted outside of the hospital system because I want to be treated with respect and dignity. Like I wanted my birth to be the most beautiful thing in the world and the most empowering thing that I've ever experienced. And I just didn't get that. I got like, yeah, like I said, I got the real opposite end of the spectrum in terms of how I was treated, like the birth. But I also think that, you know, I've heard stories of people that have had home birth transfers that were still positive births um, and were still treated with respect and dignity, even if they did end up in having cesareans you know I was in that early postpartum and just you know living in my traumatized state for a while um knowing that I was traumatized and knowing that I needed help but just waiting till I had a little bit of energy to kind of seek that um Mm. and I did and it didn't take very long and I was lucky that um I got into a psychologist I got my mental health care plan I got in to see a psychologist 
really quickly. Like, And I was really lucky. I only waited like two or three weeks or something. And she did um, the eye rapid. Is it EMDR? I, I don't EMDR? think I got it right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That is, that's what I'm talking about. Um, we did a bit of that and it just really, really took the edge off all of that kind of flashback and all the really scary stuff, the really pointy stuff that was making day to day really, really hard. That just got a lot softer. Um, it got a lot nicer. I could kind of view my birth and I could see some good in it. Um, it wasn't just this big black hole of like stuff that it was like, okay, well this happened and you know, these people were really lovely. And I eventually got to a point that, you know, and time is a lovely healer as well. (laughs) So looking back now, I can tell the story and it's not, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't hurt me very much at all. Like it's sad and it's intense, but it doesn't hurt very much because I've done a lot of healing since then. But, um, you know, I, that with, you know, seeing the psychologist, it really helped me view that, you know, this obstetrician who had caused me a lot of pain in a lot of ways was actually just doing her best. Um, she was doing her job. I don't know why <laughs> she didn't want to, didn't want to see, didn't, she didn't want me um, in her, you know, sphere. But I also think, you know, I could have been the hardest C-section she's ever done. Um, I don't know. And she did something, you know, she helped my baby be born and she did something that's well outside my scope of anything that I can do. I can't perform a C-section. Um, so I have a lot of respect for her in that way. And if nothing else, she did her job on that day. And, you know, I'm glad she did her job on that day because I ultimately, I was at the hospital and I was there um, asking for assistance for my baby to be born. And she provided that. So I guess seeing a psychologist, I also did a lot of hypnotherapy, um, you know, that kind of stuff. It really helped me view it in a different way. And it doesn't take away from the fact that it was really traumatic and the way that she acted was not within the scope of a way, you know, any doctor should speak to anyone. Um, Like ultimately her care was very minimal. Like she was very disrespectful. Um, And there were so many ways that she could have done her job better. But Mm. I found peace with, uh, I guess, how that all went down. And that was really hard because even just doing that, I have to just be the bigger person. Saying like, oh, you know, it's okay. Like, it's not really okay, but it's okay that that happened because, you know, you were just maybe you were having a hard day. But like your hard day, you know, you treated me really poorly. You kind of ruined my whole birth experience for me. And, you know, you really messed me up mentally in my postpartum when I was meant to just be sitting and loving on my baby. Well, part of why I was so um, stuck, I guess, in this state was I was so worried. It was a very active thought for me early on. I was so worried about my future births. Um, because I didn't just want one baby. I wasn't one and done, but I didn't want to have a cesarean again because physically my recovery, my cesarean recovery was very, very hard. I lost so much strength in my body that I didn't wasn't really prepared for in, in like kind of, I guess, losing control of that whole tummy area, um, mm. not being able to kind of side lie uh, in bed for a very long time or lay on my belly, like those kind of things. They, they seem like little things, but when you can't do it, it's a massive thing. And so physical recovery, even though at the time I said, oh, you know, it's not too bad. It wasn't too bad. I now look back and think it was, you know, horrific. It was really, really full on. And, you know, I guess I'd thought a little bit about maybe having an elective cesarean. I'd I'd thought about Mm -hmm. it, but I was always kind of like, nah. Like my my values on, you know, wanting my baby to pick their birthday, for example, were just too strong. And it just felt so important to me. So I guess I, you know, 
did my time in the trenches of um, birth trauma and then dug my way out really slowly. And it takes a long time to really get out. And I don't, wouldn't say that I'm ever fully out. That trauma still, I carry it with me every single day. Um, that I can't ever undo what happened to me and I can't ever change it. It is just, you know, a part of me. But, you know, I made it part of, you know, I guess I made it part of part of me instead of kind of carrying it above me and it feeling really heavy. I just I just started to wear it and decide, you know, that this is, you know, a part of my story and it doesn't make my story any less special it just makes it a bit fuller (laughs) a bit bit more colorful in my story I started to talk to my daughter about her birth that was a big thing that I started to do to feel some healing in that way as well and I wanted her to know that that it wasn't her fault what happened because obviously you know a cesarean's a cesarean um an emergency cesarean is a bit scarier and then I guess with the poor way that I was treated on top of that it's just there's different layers of you know what feels really hard and so I started to talk my talk to my daughter about my birth and it it helped in a lot of ways because it just made it more simple in a way as well that it was just kind of like this is what happened this is why it happened and you know it started to make the story feel a bit lighter for me it also in a way as well this all happened around her first birthday so she's two and a half now um it all started to happen around her first birthday because you know coming up to that you know trauma anniversary you can't it's like you can start to feel it in your body again um all those kinds of things and you know what the story that you want to be reflecting on isn't the one you are um and yeah it just you know talking to her about my story my husband as well but predominantly my daughter it nearly felt like uh, a load shared a load halved kind of thing because we actually did that together and I can't wait for her to get older and actually tell me what her experience was in that. But it just felt like it made it a lot lighter. And it wasn't long after that point, so this was, yeah, I guess 12 months post-C-section, that I had said to my husband, you know, I think I think I want to have another baby. And he's like, yeah, you're crazy, like, <laughs> really. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, I think I could because, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I'd had a baby. She was really intense baby. She lived like on my body for nearly a year. I'm not even kidding. Um, couldn't put her down unless, you know, you put her in front of the TV for a little bit. Like she was just um, on me all the time and really only liked me and my husband and maybe one of my sisters. And that was kind of it. Pretty low sleep needs. So I didn't sleep a lot. Took me a while to figure out that low sleep needs babies were even a thing. So I was trying to make her sleep all the time when I just should have just let her just chill. Um, mm. You know, all the lessons you learn. <laughs> mm. But um, yeah, I guess by the time we were 12, 13, 14 months postpartum, um, we'd kind of reached a point where, you know, she was walking, she had a bit more independence, she liked life a little bit more outside of just me and my husband, like she was exploring, it was really cute. And I was like, <laughs> okay, let's, you know, you know, you know how it goes. <laughs> and I was like, mm. okay, maybe let's like, maybe let's think about having another baby. And then I think before my husband was even fully on board. I was pregnant again. <laughs> um, yeah. And so this was, so I think I fell pregnant at 15 months postpartum and um, which was a, a big surprise. Cause I was thinking, I wasn't thinking it was going to take another two years, but I was thinking, okay, well, you know, if we start, you know, kind of trying now in six months time, hopefully we'll be pregnant. And if we're not, that's okay. But like, you know, hopefully, and we were pregnant straight away. And I didn't even realize I was pregnant till I was eight or nine weeks pregnant. But yeah, so then did my emotional recovery, always still recovering, um, you know, did some post-traumatic growth and did all the good things, fell pregnant again, um, which was really lovely. And it took me a really long time to 
convince myself that I was actually pregnant <laughs> because I was like, <laughs> no, it's not, it's not meant to happen that easy. Like, you know, this is, I haven't even, I haven't even worked for this. Like this is just happening. Um, <laughs> and it took me a really long time to, I guess, yeah, mentally accept that, yes, I am pregnant and yes, I'm going to have another baby and they're going to be, you know, they would have been just over two years apart, like two years and one month or something like that. I, I in an ideal world, if they were both kind of born at the same gestation is what it kind of would have worked out to be. Um, but yeah, so then I went into my second pregnancy and again, I had a really healthy, normal pregnancy and straight away, there was never pretty much from when I found out I was pregnant and really kind of, I guess, accepted that I was pregnant. There was no question in my mind as to whether or not I was going to have um, a cesarean. It was just a firm no from me, to be honest. It wasn't even something that I even thought about on my radar. Um, it was kind of like, okay, well, if something funky happens and I end up back in hospital and I end up with maybe a doctor similar, then sure, like I'll have a cesarean. I've already done a really difficult birth. I can have another really difficult birth, but it was never something that I was going to choose for myself. Um, I was like, you know, no, I feel really capable in my body. Physically, I felt really strong at the time um, of falling pregnant. Um, I felt, you know, I guess not. I've never felt super fit in my life, but like I felt really strong, really strong, really capable, mentally in a really good space. Um, like I said, the pregnancy kind of came out of nowhere but once it kind of had landed on me that yes this is happening I felt really good about it um you know I'd always kind of wanted two little girls two years apart and that's exactly what I've got like I, in so many ways <laughs> I'm living my dream right now um Aww. yeah it's really really nice <laughs> um but because it was kind of just came to me it kind of took me a little bit to accept that it was it was for me it felt too good to be true nearly especially having to go through like nearly two years of trying for my first to get pregnant straight away was just a total shock mm. my husband didn't believe me for a long time he thought <laughs> I was whipping out pregnancy tests from my first pregnancy <laughs> um when I thought about how I was going to have my baby I had to consider my hemorrhage from my first birth and I had to consider my T incision um I was comfortable with the distance between the two pregnancies uh even though I guess it guess longer would have been better but I was comfortable with what it was um and so I started to think about that and I'd always be curious about free birth um when I was pregnant with my first I was always very um kind of in awe I guess of, of women that had just you know had their babies at home with their husbands or a doula or whoever was at home with them or by themselves I'd always been really, really interested in it. But also during that time of thinking about having another baby, I had connected with a private midwife because I wanted to know or I wanted to be prepared of when, um, you know, because obviously private midwives, they book out very quickly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. and at this time it was now, what would it have been, 2022. And kind of on that tail end, on the back end of COVID, there seemed to be in my area a few more midwives that had started um practicing in private practice so there was a couple of options now so I'd started to reach out just before I was pregnant when I when I had started thinking about pregnancy just to see if any would consider taking me on just with my circumstances um and a couple of them just told me straight up no (laughs) and I thought okay interesting yeah just with the tea incision and stuff they just said like no like kind of just not firm no but just probably not like we would have to see and it was very clutching its straws um And then I found one who came and chatted with me who was really, really lovely. And she said, "Um, yeah, like, you know, you just, you know, we can talk about the risk, but if you're happy, I'm happy. And I thought that's exactly what I need to hear, that (laughs) that Mm. if you're happy, I'm happy. Um, 
And so I felt, you know, very confident straight away that I had someone in my corner and I felt like I had options um, going into, you know, what I was going to choose in terms of care um, with my second pregnancy. Like I said, I'd always been curious about free birth, but I'd connected with this really lovely midwife that I kind of thought, okay, well, maybe I will use her because she's just, you know, she ticks a lot of boxes for me. She spoke to me really respectfully, even when, you know, even when we didn't have a relationship, she knew very little about me and the way she was speaking to me, it was like we were speaking the same language. Um, just really, really big on informed consent, I guess. Um, because I've, you know, I make a real effort to educate myself on a lot of things. Like I need to know how things affect me. Um, and she was really respectful of that. And it was really lovely. And so I was thinking, you know, do I book her or do I just, you know, birth on my own? Like, do I just, do I just do it? Like, I'm very capable. I feel very capable. I feel like anything I don't know, I'm going to learn. Like, you know, I felt very motivated. Um, we just bought a bigger house. Like there was just a lot going on for my kind of family unit that was really, I guess, inspiring me. And, um, I ended up contacting her and I thought, no, I'll book in with her. I really, really liked it. I'll book in with her. And then it turns out she, that was kind of a blackout period for her when I thought I was due um, because she was going on a holiday. And I thought, wow, that's great. This decision has been made for me. This is wonderful. (laughs) Um, Like this is really, really great. But she did one better. She said, do you want me to do some prenatal care for you? And I said, wow, wow. yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's perfect. Because then I thought that's great because if something comes up in my pregnancy obviously my first one had been so smooth sailing I didn't even have to worry about anything but I thought if something comes up then you know I don't then that's great because I don't have to navigate the hospital system and you know do do investigate anything that way I've got a I've got a buddy I've got a midwife like this is amazing and so I felt really relaxed and really calm throughout the whole pregnancy obviously it's not as um not as relaxed when you have a toddler (laughs) Um, you know, it's a bit <laughs> yeah. like life to move very very quickly during that time and we just you know moved houses so it was unpacking and the, all that kind of jazz everything was kind of tracking along smoothly I was pre- preparing to free birth so I guess um, a lot of that for me was just you know I knew a lot about physiological birth but I guess knowing I needed to learn during my pregnancy what I was comfortable with and what I was uncomfortable with um, and what was the reason for transfer because I guess in my first pregnancy didn't want to be at the hospital I didn't want to transfer like I really wanted to have my home birth um, which is you know very reasonable whereas going into my second birth I was like look I'm more open to wherever I need to be I'm more accepting of if there's something that's outside of my level of comfort being at the hospital um, you know it's not home birth or nothing like there's a massive spectrum Mm. of different ways that you can birth I was a lot more open to it um, because I also thought I've already had a cesarean. Cesarean isn't the end of the world. You know, it's a very, you know, respectful way to birth your baby in many ways. Um, and I just kind of went into this second pregnancy with a way more open mind, like very determined, but just a lot more relaxed about outcomes. Because ultimately, sometimes there are things that come up in your pregnancy that you just can't control. And then, you know, what am I going to go do? Go to the hospital with, you know, really high blood pressure and have a meltdown. Like it's just going to make everything worse. Like I just was a lot more open to, you know, different things where I guess in the first pregnancy, I was a bit like, I really hope something doesn't happen because I really don't want to go to the hospital. But I, I was fortunate enough to have another really normal pregnancy and we were getting towards the end. So I was 36 weeks when I had um, my youngest daughter and, you know, I was thinking, oh, I think she might come a little bit early, but a little bit early to me was like 40 weeks, 41 weeks. (laughs) (laughs) 
I, I, I thought it'd be nice to not go over 42 again. Like that would be nice. But then I've also heard stories of women that have longer gestations with their second pregnancy. So mm. I was just, you know, I, I didn't really know what to expect, but I was expecting her to come a little bit earlier, but nothing major. I would actually love it yeah. if you wouldn't mind um, sharing a little bit about what you sort of did differently to prepare because obviously free birth, you know, I think a lot of people yes. will be um, curious as to what, I guess, yeah, what people do to prepare that's different to a home birth and obviously yes. second pregnancy, often people prepare a bit different anyways. Yeah, so I guess in terms of um, the way that I've prepared for birth second time around, so my first birth I um, had planned a home birth, so there was always going to be... I guess, a medical professional present. And I think, to be honest, um, it's kind of like I didn't become lax, but I was always going to have someone to call. I was always going to have someone available um, or I was always just going to have someone there, So it's which is lovely in so many ways. But I was really ready second time around to take full responsibility for the outcomes of my birth. So I just researched everything. And I realised that I had been passively researching for a really long time. Like I had been kind Mm -hmm. of consuming bits of information, but I'm talking like I had to know what I was willing to, what I was going to do if I thought my baby had died while I was in labor or what I was going to do if, um, yeah, if I, you know, had a stillborn child. And, you know, that's a really confronting thing because I guess that's kind of like the biggest fear in, you know, birthing outside the hospital system is dead baby. Um, And so I really had to, you know, yeah, figure out what I was comfortable with, what I wasn't comfortable with, do a lot of research. Um, Hemorrhage was a really big thing for me because I had obviously hemorrhaged the first time. And yes, that was during a cesarean with a T incision. There's a few other factors, but I had hemorrhage before. And so I wouldn't otherwise know what, if if or what I would kind of hemorrhage with a, you know, physiological birth. Um, And so I had to, yeah, do a lot of work. And a lot of it's just kind of like, tapping in my, into my intuition as well as to like, okay, am I comfortable with this? Am I not comfortable with this? What am I comfortable with? What does it look like? And then also teaching my husband as well, some things to recognize and numbers to call. And I was really grateful. Um, the private midwife that was going to be on holidays, she said to me, if like, these are the dates I'm away, if I'm not away and you're in labor, call me if you need to ask me any questions or anything. I thought, wow, that's so that's so handy. Like, that's so handy to have another point of contact before you transfer mm. to hospital. We also thought about whether or not we were going to have a doula, which is funny because I looked really hard for a doula for months. Like, I think I don't know why, but off the back of COVID, there seemed to be a lot of doulas in my areas that weren't attending births anymore. We didn't end up hiring a doula or anything like that. It was just going to be me and my husband. I had lined up a friend to come and get my daughter and we were just going to do it together, have our baby at home. And, you know, I was so very excited for that. I ended up having, um, typing up a 20 page document, which is just a summary document actually. Um, and I kind of had to make it so that it was like, you know, emergency stuff at the front. So like blood loss at, you know, any black bleeding at any time, like what that kind of meant. Um, I had lots of photos in there of, I kept having dreams about breech birth. Um, so I had lots of photos in of like breech babies with the bum coming down, the legs coming down, um, just to so that my husband could see it so he didn't freak out if that's what he saw. Um, <laughs> I, I watched so many videos. Even now it's really funny, my two-year-old, if she hears on my phone, like, you know, the badass mother Bertha Instagram or something like that yeah. where there's women moaning or anything like that, she comes, she comes running over to try and see the baby. 
<laughs> it's really, really funny. Yeah, it's really, really nice. So we did a lot of, um, yeah, I guess just kind of, we didn't look for problems, but it was like, okay, what are the problems? What are the reasons for transfer before I go into labour? Um, reasons that we might transfer during labour um, and reasons that we would transfer after labour and things that were issues and uh, things that might have been issues and the ways that we were going to treat it at home and then at what point it became un- to, you know, I guess outside of our level of comfort and then we we're going to transfer. Um, so were lots of conversations around that, what that looked like. And it was hard because um, my husband isn't necessarily like a sit down and we're going to talk and uh, I'm, he's going to take it all in. Like I kind of just had to like learn it, figure out what I was comfortable with kind of write it down and then uh, kind of drip feed the information back to him um, <laughs> so that it wasn't all just all in one go and so it wasn't too overwhelming. So in the end, once we got to, yeah, probably about when she was born, like 35, 36 weeks, I was like, yeah, we're ready. And ultimately I really trusted, even with my first baby as well, I trusted my intuition over anything else. And I knew that if something didn't feel right, that I was going to do whatever I felt like I needed to do at the time. And I'm also just needed my husband to be able to recognize things that maybe were outside the normal. But I trusted myself. I trusted my baby. I trusted my body. I trusted everything. I never actually thought twice about the teen incision. I actually often forget that I have one. And then I see other people talk about teen incisions and I'm like, oh yeah, I have one of them too. Like I just, mm. I kind of, I kind of forget about it. I definitely don't see it as a limitation. One thing I did actually that was really helpful is I got a balloon and I drew a little T on it, um, you know, because I thought a balloon, that's you know, not blown up, that's kind of the size of a uterus. And then if you mm. blow it up to the full size, I guess that that's in my head, that's kind of what that would look like with the teeth mm-hmm. blown up. And that really helped me to be able to visualize contractions in my head. And like, just kind of, I always had this image of, you know, my uterus contracting and it just, you know, it just working. Because I remember something that um, the private midwife said to me at the start of my pregnancy, I said, so what's, what's the go with the teen incisions? Like, why are they so, you know, risky? And she basically said, there's little to no research really done. Um, or there's no solid research anyway. They're all different. There's no one way to cut it as such. Like, so there's no, even to kind of do research, they're all kind of different lengths and things like that. Um, and that it's, uh, I guess a theory that maybe the uterus can't work as hard for as long because of the, you know I guess it's carrying that extra scar tissue kind of thing. Um, so yes, we were getting towards the end of our pregnancy, um, feeling really prepared, um, but also really casual and really chiller, which was quite a nice thing because we have it. You know, our daughter would have been getting close to two years old, and you know that's that's a hectic life when you're quite pregnant. Um, and my husband and daughter had gone away for the weekend to Dubbo, which is, I think it's about five hours from Newcastle, um, to see one of my husband's mates and they were going to Dubbo Zoo. And that was kind of their last daddy daughter weekend thing before the baby was going to come. Cause you know, after that, you know, you're pretty pregnant. You don't want your husband five hours away when you think you're going to have a baby. <laughs> um, it's yeah. just, that's a little bit outside of my comfort. And that's kind of where the story of my second birth starts, um, because I woke up on Saturday morning. So I was just home by myself. I was just trying to, um, start to wind down, watch some TV. That was what I had planned for the weekend. Just absolutely chilling, doing not much. Um, and I woke up on Saturday with a UTI and I thought, wow, this is interesting. I don't really, that was probably the third UTI I'd ever had in my life. And I was like, look, this is terrible thing to happen in pregnancy. Like not terrible as in dangerous. In my head, I was like, this is such an inconvenient time. Mm. Like, this is terrible timing. I'm meant to be relaxing this weekend. 
I had no inkling at all that I was about to have a baby um, at all, like firm no. <laughs> um, and I called my husband a couple of times and he was like, you know, are you okay? You don't seem okay. And I was like, no, I'll be fine. It's just that, you know, when you come back, just come, you know, come back when you can come back, like come back when you're ready. But yeah, so this was kind of all of sad day. I still did some stuff. I got the baby's clothes ready, which was lucky. Um, And then on Sunday I woke up and it was kind of like uh, my UTI symptoms had eased, but I started to get this cramping that I thought was part of the UTI. I thought, mm-hmm, okay, mm-hmm. this is an interesting UTI symptom that's happening now on Sunday morning. And I decided at that point on Sunday, I'd messaged my midwife a couple of times and she said, oh, look, you know, UTIs happen. We had organized that she was going to come and see me on Monday anyway, and we're going to do a dipstick, like urine tested, check that it wasn't anything else. Um, so I'd kind of had some plans in place on Sunday. I thought, oh, I should make a doctor's appointment, maybe get some antibiotics, but I was just getting these random dull, in hindsight, they were like early contractions, but they were just, you know, random cramping really, really low. So think like between the hips, like Mm -hmm. really, really, really low in my pelvis. They were not what contractions felt like to me. These were also only a couple of seconds long. I'm talking like five seconds. And I thought, okay, well, this is this is annoying and inconvenient. Like, this is an annoying part of my day. Um, must just be the UTI. My husband and daughter weren't coming home until that evening. Um, and that just kind of went on throughout the day. And in hindsight, uh, they were definitely getting more intense. Um, they were definitely getting more frequent. And I just honestly didn't think anything of it um, because they were so, because of where they were in my body and also just how short they were. I just didn't think anything of it. I didn't feel like I was having a baby. I just felt tired. I just felt a bit over it. Um, And I think as well, because I wasn't actually speaking to anyone, like I was at home by myself. I wasn't really telling anyone what was happening. And I think that's the other reason why I didn't really put all the pieces together is I thought, oh, I'm just kind of, I've just got this annoying UTI. At that point, I thought, oh, I better just check that it's not the baby because, you know, (laughs) I don't want to have a 36-weeker, like, you know, at the time, I think I was, yeah, on the Sunday, I would have been 35 weeks and six days. I wasn't 36 weeks until the Monday. And I thought, no, I don't want to have a baby at this gestation. Like, that's not ideal. I'd like a couple, like a couple more weeks. So I thought, um, you know, I better just check. I might might go to the hospital. And I remember my husband saying to me, like, you know, do you want to go to the hospital? Like, you want to go to the hospital? Like, why would you want to go to the hospital? And I was like, I just need to double check that this isn't the baby. Like, I just needed, they just need to tell me what I already know and I'll be fine. And so I ended up, um, I had decided in this pregnancy that I wasn't going to do a booking appointment with the hospital. Um, I decided that it was best if they just didn't know about me and that if I needed them, I would, I would call them or I'd rock up there and they would treat me. And I knew that, but I just didn't want to be on their radar at all. And I didn't want to have to be worried about that. And I had heard stories of hospitals harassing women that were planning on birthing unassisted and, you know, going post dates and all that kind of stuff. And not that I thought that that would happen to me, but I just wanted to make sure there was no chance of that happening. And I'd spoken to my private midwife. I said, you know, do we really need to book in? And she said, like, not really, like that it's fine. That's not a big deal at all. Um, so I felt very confident with that decision. And so, yeah, I got to about eight o'clock and I called them and I said, okay, like, these are my symptoms. This is what's happening. Do you think I should come in? She said, yeah, you know, just come in. Like you, there's no harm in coming in, just come in. And I was like, okay, great. Like this is, this is a fun, again, I was kind of going there really lighthearted, like, oh, this is an adventure. Um, and you know, I do have a UTI, so I'm not hundred percent well, um, like there is, you know, a bit going on obviously. And so I went to 
the hospital. And it was really funny, actually. The midwife that was on was the same midwife I had when I had my first daughter, who was really, really lovely. Um, and I had a really good experience. She was really helpful first time around with my husband after uh, my daughter was born. Um, it was just really, really nice. And I saw her like a familiar face and I felt really at ease with her. And we were, they must have been, it must have been a quiet ish night because she was just chatting to us a lot, just casually. <clears throat> I had the CTG on. I thought that, or my understanding of how those machines work was that they picked up contractions and, you know, they just said buzz when she moves and I did that. And, you know, the trace and everything looked really good and I was having these, you know, dull cramps still and they were definitely increasing in intensity, but not in length. They were still only five, 10 seconds long. And, you know, I assumed (laughs) maybe incorrectly that if they were contractions that they would show up on 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 the trace thing that they would be able to know that that was contractions and um, nothing like that came up. And then, you know, spoke to the obstetrician and she said, you know, yeah, look, you know, it looks like you've got a UTI, you're a bit dehydrated, you want some fluids. And I said, yeah, that's a great idea. And she said, do you want me to do um, an internal exam? And I said, yes, that would be great. Um, And I felt very informed and empowered saying that because I thought, no, I want to know if I'm a little bit dilated, I want to know that that's something to keep in my mind if this continues. And so she did an internal and she said, uh, your cervix is long, hard and closed. And I said, that's amazing. That's great. That's exactly what I want to hear. And this was about midnight. And she said, so it's probably just, you know, your irritable uterus with your uh, UTI, um, you know, you're very pregnant kind of thing. Like it's just an annoying thing. Hopefully it should, the antibiotic should help, um, help with the UTI. And then hopefully these, you know, this irritable uterus just kind of fizzles out, but you might be uncomfortable for a couple of days. Um, And she said, you know, we recommend that you stay overnight just so we can make sure it doesn't turn into labor. Um, But yeah, that, that was kind of the opinion. And my cervix was closed at midnight. And I was like, okay, great. This is great. We're definitely not staying. We're going home. Meanwhile, everything's really ramping up, like what these, these you know, ritualistically were contractions. Um, I couldn't really, uh, I guess, breathe through them now. But again, in the same time, I've just been told, no, cervix closed, irritable uterus. So I'm like, God, I'm just really exhausted. That's what I told myself. I'm just really tired. I've got to get home now. And so that's kind of what I thought was happening. I thought I just wasn't tolerating the discomfort much anymore and you know when you're in a hospital bed it's not comfortable it's not like being at home you can't really mm. get comfortable at all and so I was kind of like okay well I've been here a couple of hours now I'm just getting really uncomfortable she said that my cervix is you know hard and closed that's that's what I was coming here for to just check if there was something that I need to be aware of or not it's not something I need to worry about baby's not coming um, baby's also done really well on the CTG like there's no concerns there so we've ticked a couple of boxes we've showed our face at the hospital we've done good, let's go home, is kind of what I was thinking. And, um, you know, so I signed my thing, like, against medical advice because they said, you know, I should stay overnight. And I was like, no, I'm definitely not doing that. I'm going to go home to bed. Um, And so we just had to um, make our way back to the car. And it was just getting more and more difficult to kind of move (laughs) because of this, you know, cramping there were contractions. They were just deep. They were stopping me. Like I couldn't, couldn't keep moving through them. And I was like, wow, this is a hectic UTI. Like, and my husband's saying to me like, oh, wow. Like, how are you going to have a baby if this is a UTI? <laughs> and I was like, shut up. I'll be fine. Like, I'll be fine. Um, and then I made it to the car, got in the car, and everything kind of changed from there. And I was really feeling the urge to push. Um, <laughs> and my body had started pushing. And I was like, wow, I really need to do a poo. Like, I, let me just get home and I'll just quickly do this poo. 
and then I'll go to bed and I'll feel heaps better in, in the morning. This is what I was telling myself. Um, because I'd just been to the hospital and my cervix was closed. So I was sweet. Um, and so I made my husband stop a couple of times on the way home because I was just so uncomfortable in the car. Like I was really vocal at this point. Like it it was it was intense because you know I was actually having a baby. Um, it was intense and you know. I was in the car. It was really uncomfortable. The the kind of road that we have to drive to and from the hospital, it's really, really bumpy road. Like it was not not a good experience. By the time we got home, it was probably like 1.30 in the morning, probably closer to 2 o'clock. And um, I thought, okay, I'll just jump in the shower. You can get the heat packs ready and then we'll just all go to bed. The plan was actually because we were still – uh, getting some things finalized for the baby to be born. Part of that was my husband was meant to upgrade the hot water system in our uh, bathroom because we only had like probably 10 minutes of hot water before it ran out. And so that hadn't been done yet. So I got in the shower, I used my 10 minutes of water. Um, I couldn't poo. I couldn't poo on the toilet. No poo was coming out. I was very confused. And I thought, oh, you know what? Now that I think about it, I've actually, maybe I'm constipated because the UTI. <laughs> <laughs> I must I'm just I'm just constipated because I was trying to think wow like when did I poo last I don't even know maybe I'm a bit blocked up like I don't even remember also I'm de- definitely like not of logical mind at this point because I'm you know kind of in transition and that's all happening I got in the shower and I do think now if I'd had my, all my hot water she probably would have just been born in the shower because uh, <laughs> I would have just stayed there and I wouldn't have moved but um yeah I I got in the shower I couldn't find comfort in the shower try to go to the toilet again, wasn't happening. And I was like, stuff this, like, I'm just going to have to go to sleep and hope that when I go to sleep that I at least sleep for a couple of hours and everything just kind of fades away. And then anyways, I got out of the shower, I got into bed and I laid down and in my head, because I'd been telling myself I was just waiting to get to bed, as soon as I laid down in bed and not that I was expecting everything to go away or anything like that, but I thought I'd be able to find comfort. Like I couldn't find comfort in the hospital. I couldn't find comfort in the car. Couldn't really find comfort in the shower because the hot water ran out. Couldn't find comfort on the toilet. I thought, you know, my bed's it. If I can't find comfort there, something's not right. And so I got into bed and I just couldn't get comfortable. And I said to my husband, I said, okay, I think we're going to have to call an ambulance. And he said, why? Like, what's going on? Why? And I was like, we have to call an ambulance. Like, we have to go back to the hospital because something's not right. And I can't get back in the car again. <laughs> like, I can't, I can't sit in the car again. He said, what do you mean? And I said, no, like, and he said, oh, but like, it's not the baby, is it? And I said, no, it's not the baby. Like, something's <laughs> happened to my bowel or something. Like, my bowel's exploding or something. Like, I'll have to go and get that fixed. I'm not really sure, but like something, there's something there. There's something not right. No, I didn't think it was the baby still. And um, <laughs> and he's kind of giving me this look like, Tiani, like, we don't just call ambulances for no reason. And I'm like, no, nah, we've got to call an ambulance. Like, if you don't call an ambulance, I'm going to have to call an ambulance. Like, we, we, I can't get back in the car. Um, and then he's on the phone to the ambulance and they're saying, you know, can you see the head? Like, you know, your wife's having a baby, blah, blah. And he's like, no, she's not having a baby. We were just there. Like, she's not having a baby. There's no head because the baby's not coming yet. Like, her cervix is closed. We were just there. And they kept asking, they were kept trying to, trying to, um, the operator on the phone kept trying to get him to time the contractions. And I was like, no, they're not contractions. Like they're not <laughs> contractions. Like they're just, I don't know what's happening. Like I've just get me to the hospital so they can figure it out. And, you know, I was saying to Quinn, I was saying, you know, if they're not going to send an ambulance, just hung up. Like if they're not, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> timing anything. Like tell them to just send an ambulance or don't send an ambulance. I don't care anymore. <laughs> um, the ambulance was there what felt like within a minute. 
Um, and the Ambos were really, really lovely. And they were like, you know, it looks like you're having a baby. And I was like, no, nah, I'm not. I was just <laughs> here. I was just here. I'm not having a baby. Don't worry about me. Like there's something else going on, but these guys will figure it out. Like we're going to the right place to figure out what's going on right now. And they're like, do you want to feel if you can see if you can feel the head? And I was like, no, my cervix is closed. <laughs> like you guys, you guys. Anyways, and so we got to the hospital and realistically I was I was again I was really uncomfortable like ultimately I was having a baby I was really really uncomfortable and we got to the hospital and they took me to the birth suite and I remember thinking don't take me here like (laughs) this is you know this is you know this is not the place to go and on the way to the hospital actually I I was thinking look I think I'm gonna have to have a cesarean like if they're gonna have to do a surgery to fix like you know whatever's going on in me because I did think for a second I was like maybe my uterus is ruptured like this is just Mm. you know you know my cervix is closed but there's a lot of pain going on and it's really really intense and it's getting more intense there has to be something else going on um maybe it is that so I was kind of in the ambulance just laying there with my eyes closed thinking oh I think there goes my free birth. (laughs) You know, Mm. I still wasn't thinking I was having a baby, you know, right that like, you know, within the next half an hour, but I was, you know, I was thinking, you know, I think, I think my plans are going off the rails again, unfortunately, but you know, that's okay because it's just happening. And I was, you know, very accepting of it happening. I just didn't quite realize what it was. Um, Mm. And so we went into birth suite and I looked up at the time and it was 2.50. So 2.50 AM and the same midwife that I'd spoken to, you know, that I, I was familiar with, she came and said, oh, Tiana, you're having a baby. And I said, no, like I was just here. She said, no, your baby's coming, Um, <laughs> you know, basically find a comfortable position. And I was like, well, where's my husband? Like I can't, um, I can't have my baby without my husband here. Like where is he? And then so she was calling him and he ended up making it up there. I think it was 2.55 a.m. because it was a big clock. So I was kind of familiar with what the times were. And, um, and yeah, so they were trying to get me, in they they wanted me on my back to to push this baby out and I was like I'm not having my baby on my back like you know number I'm all of how not to have a baby in my opinion um mm-hmm. and so they were trying to get you know they were trying to put the Doppler on me they were trying to put the thing on my finger to take my pulse and I was kind of like get get everything off me like you know if I'm having a baby in the hospital that's cool but like let me just have my baby is kind of what I was thinking and that's how I was feeling like I was really irritable at the time and the thing is, I felt really um, <clears throat> non-consensual a little way because I was saying, like, get away from me, get this off me. Like, I didn't want to. And, like, you know, this is all happening really, really quickly. But I was like, no. Like, I was saying a lot of no's. I was saying a lot of get off me. I was saying, like, I don't want this on. Like, I was very clear. And none of that was respected at all. And But the worst part was these people were really nice. <laughs> they were really friendly. But they were like, no, we need to put this on because of this. We need to do whatever. And I said, okay whatever like again it was kind of like the whole whatever like I'm here you're just gonna do it anyway because they were just doing it like I ended up one midwife she kept putting her finger in my vagina I ended up kicking her away with my foot because she just Mm. wouldn't stop yeah it was like that and like it wasn't like I wasn't saying get away from me like it was not there was it was it was bad like I was like no go away like you know get off me Obviously, things are happening pretty quickly because this was, yeah, 2.55 once my husband got in the room was very, it became very hands-on really quickly. Um, and I was like, what's going on? Like, what is the what is the concern here? Like, can you just leave me to have my baby? They were saying, oh, your baby's heart rate's really low. And I was saying, okay, what is it? Because, you know, I'd, prepared, I'd uh, planned for my free birth. I knew what kind of heart rates I was comfortable with and uncomfortable with. And I was like, well, mm-hmm. what is it? And they wouldn't, they wouldn't tell me. 
and they, they just kept saying, oh, you know, it's dropping, it's dropping. And I said, yeah, like to what? Like, what are we dropping to? Like, give me something. And I got nothing. I got no answers. Um, and that was something I look back on and I feel really let down, especially by the midwife that I was quite familiar with, because I thought you could have given me that information and I could have used that to make decisions about my birth that I, I couldn't because I just didn't have that information because you didn't tell me. Um, mm. But also my idea was that I didn't even have any monitoring on that. I didn't even have that information was my ideal but you know you were having this information and instead of just telling me when I'm asking for it they didn't tell me and so the doctor came around the obstetrician came around to where my face was and he said um your baby's in distress and um we can either we need to help the baby get out and I said okay but isn't that you guys keep telling me the baby's right there so like isn't the baby right there like can't we just let her be born and he's like, no, we need we need to help the baby out. Baby's not happy. And again, like I'm saying the same thing. What's the heart rate? Like, what do you mean? Like, give me some more information. He said, well, basically we can use forceps or we can use a vacuum. And I said, okay, well, you know, in my head, I was kind of like forceps, anesthetic, cesarean. We're not doing that. Like, I'm not falling for this again. And I was like, okay, well, we vacuum. Like straight away, I was like, okay, vacuum. And I did question it because I said, okay, well, if we're going to do an instrumental birth, then at least like, can I have an epidural? Like, I don't, I'm happy to feel my birth, but if you're going to alter it, then I don't like, you know, that's going to be more painful for me. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily want to experience that. I don't want to be in your awkward positions. I don't want to do that. And they're saying, no, there's no time. There's no time. I'm like, okay, well, if there's no time, can't we just, you know, can we just have the Mm. baby? Anyway, so Mm. this was all happening in the space of like 2.55 to 3 a.m. And so vacuum was actually on for two contractions in one minute and so and I know this because um one of the midwives took heaps of photos on my phone which I'm so grateful for because in realistically I realized I was having a baby like 250 and she was born at 303 so it was 13 Mm, minutes later that she was born yeah so it was really 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 quick um and so the vacuum was used which meant I then had an episiotomy but the vacuum was used for all of quite like I'm saying like literally two contractions so how mm. necessary was it? I will never actually know um, mm. because I was never left alone to do that. But she came up with an APGAR score of nine. So she was, you know, really well-born, healthy. She had a little bit of vernix on her. And I thought that's so sweet because I never, because I had such a post-dates baby with my first. And like I said, that's really the norm for my family. I was never expecting to have a little, you know, little baby with vernix on her, like, you know, born at 36 weeks. It's just not not ever something that I thought that I'd experience. So it was really nice to experience that. And I remember thinking like how it felt for her to actually be born in that moment was like euphoric. Um, It was definitely like the most, I don't know, the most joy I've ever felt in just a really short amount of time. And even though it was so stressful as in like with everything happening and it was so rushed and it was so out of nowhere, it was still such a beautiful feeling. Um, that I had my baby and I was, you know, just laying there with my baby on my chest. (laughs) And that feeling lasted Mm -hmm. about 20 seconds. (laughs) It was Mm -hmm. really, really short-lived, but it was such a beautiful 20 seconds. And I actually have a video of it, of the exact moment. And when I look at it, it fills me with so much joy because I'm like, that is, I remember exactly how I felt in that video. And I remember that it all went to shit very shortly afterwards. And it was a shit show very shortly before it, but that 20 seconds was so nice. And so they were saying to me, and on the other side of that, my heart rate was really, really high. So I assume I was in kind of a little bit of shock. It was quite shocking to me. I was in, I was in shock. Um, mm. 
And so they were saying to me, oh, I think we might have to take you to theatre. You're losing a lot of blood. And I was like, oh, really? Like, really? Like, I've just got my baby. And, you know, I, I understood that there was a lot happening and that it was a stressful environment. But I was also just so happy that I was like, nah, it'll be right. Like, we'll be right. It'll stop. Um, and I ended up going to theatre, but the bleeding did end up stopping before we went to theatre and there was no actual mm. um no real damage or anything like that. that. That was all good, but it, I did end up having to have a surgery, um, like to, to check. Um, but yes, yeah, so I had my baby for a really, really beautiful 20 seconds. It was probably a couple of minutes, but it really wasn't very long until it was like, you know, cause they're also trying to like, you know, get me to get the placenta out straight away. And I was like, Oh, I don't want to like, you know, cause you know, you just, you know, in that whole, and I get that it's, it wasn't a physiological birth, but like in my head, I, I'd had my vaginal birth and it was so different to what I wanted it to be very far different, but it was still, I still got that like, Oh, I've just had my baby. And my husband mm-hmm. said to me, and I think that's in the video as well, is he said to me, Oh, congratulations. Like you just, you just had a vaginal birth. And I remember thinking at the time, I was like, duh, I was never not having one. Like, of course I did. Like, what do you mean? Like, yeah, it's just a baby. Like it's just birth. Like that's just, you know, we just, we just did it. Like, you know, that's all. I looked at her and I was, you know, knowing that I was going into late, like, sorry, knowing that I was, yeah, having my labor so early, like 36 weeks. I, I did, you know, it was very quick. It was a quick 13 minutes, but I did panic for a little second there thinking maybe I was going to have a really small baby. Um, mm. And I thought, oh, and then so I was, you know, I was happy that I was looking at it and she looked like a normal size. She was born 3.3 kilos, so she was born a normal size. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I was like, oh, you know, this is so great. Like I have a normal size baby. She's breathing. She's just laying on my chest. Like it just felt so normal. And then I had to hand uh, my baby off to my husband and we went into the theatre and that was really hard because at the hospital that I was at, they don't have theatre stuff overnight or something like that. They don't have whatever stuff they need overnight, so they had to call them in. Um, and it just meant the whole environment of that um, <clears throat> surgery and shortly thereafter, there wasn't like the – there probably was, but just from my experience, I'm just kind of picturing it in my head, there was no kind of nurses. You know how the nurses, they kind of explain to you what's going on and, you know, they're just kind of the – the buffer, like when I woke up, for example, there was just, it was me in recovery, no one else there. And um, a doctor like typing notes. And it was just like, you know what I mean? Like there was no, it just, it felt really scary to be honest. Um, it's not what I wanted to wake up to. And uh, to be honest, I didn't actually want to be put under. So like, same thing again, I was like, oh, I don't want to be put under. Um, it just doesn't feel nice to me. Can I have an epidural? Like I'd rather be awake for this surgery than be put under. And they were saying, you know, no, you can't really have an epidural. It's easier to put you under because you'll be awake quicker. You'll be able to move quicker, whatever. And I thought, oh, okay, that's true. I would be able to move quicker. That's a good idea. Um, anyway, so then nothing actually really came of the surgery, but it then meant that I was separated from my baby for a couple of hours. And then I think I, I was in recovery holding her again at about 5.30. Also should mention, so the total blood loss for that birth is 3.6 litres. So oh, wow massive blood loss yeah massive blood loss and so yeah my first hemorrhage was two and a half liters first birth this birth was 3.6 liters which yes is a lot and which again makes me you know if I have more babies I have to I have to consider that because it's a really it's a serious thing um but again it's one of those situations where I also had an episiotomy what would happen if I was actually just left to have my physiological birth what would that blood loss have been I don't I'll never know Mm. 
And that's mm. really hard to make peace with because I'll just never, I will never ever know unless I have another baby. Yeah. So we were separated and then we were together again for a little bit in recovery. And then again, because of the blood loss, I went to ICU. She went to the nursery uh, initially as a boarder. And this was, yeah, probably like 7.30, 8 o'clock. So yeah, I guess the doctors were coming in then. Um, and because I had had a UTI, it was uh, suspected that she had also had some sort of infection, hence the earlier birth. And so they wanted to mm. give her any antibiotics. And I was really, really hesitant. But I was like, okay, yeah, no, we, we can do that. You know, that's how they treat them. We, you know, when they're neonates, you know, it's very prophylactic treatment. And it's not necessarily aligned to what I, you know, would do and what I believe in, but also there's this little baby. And what I found as well was quite difficult is trying to make that decision separate from her. Like, it's not like I'm holding my little baby going, "Mm, yeah, that's a good idea. Or like, no, no, I I think we'll leave it. Like, can I make a decision in two hours? Um, I was, you know, in a separate part of the hospital to her, trying to make decisions about her without having really even seen her, to be honest. And so, yeah, she she started on antibiotics and then it started noticing some other things. So she had... um, a particular rash and so she actually had really low platelets when she was born so she had low platelets and really high bilirubin levels um so jaundice as well so it's kind of normal for babies to like get to jaundice on like day two or three but it's pretty not normal for them to be born that way if you get what I mean mm. and um yeah so that was really tough that there was decisions made about decisions that I had to make it like you know with my husband in a different part of the hospital because it was probably about nine, 10 o'clock in the morning now and getting like crossing paths because she'd started on the antibiotics. She was stuck in the nursery. I was in ICU, not getting out anytime soon, even though I was trying to really talk my way out of there. Um, the ICU doctors had come around and I said, look, I need to see my baby. Like I need to, I need to get down there. Like this is not, this was however many hours now without even attempting a breastfeed. Like this is not, this is not okay with me. Um, and the ICU doctor, he wasn't, he wasn't rude, but he just kind of put his hand on my shoulder and said, this is where you need to be and basically said nothing else. And so I was really, mm. really upset at this point. So I was like, this is not where I need to be. I am otherwise stable. Like, you know, my blood pressure and everything post that surgery was all good. Um, I was there very much kind of like precautionary. Um, and then I don't exactly know what happened, but someone must have been looking out for me and an obstetrician who wasn't the obstetrician that I had seen the night before came around and he said, you know, are you okay? What's going on? And I said, I have my baby in the nursery, you know, they're giving her antibiotics. She's got under the lights. Um, I just really need to get to her and I have no way of getting to her. Like, what do I do? And he said, that's okay. I'm going to go and talk to that um, ICU doctor and we're going to get you down to the nursery. And so mm. I don't even know where he came from or like, but I was so grateful for that interaction because, you know, he got it, you know, the, and I understand the ICU doctor being like, look, you need to be here. But ultimately with the whole, you know, mother baby connection, like that wasn't where I needed to be. Uh, and I think the obstetrician understood that that wasn't where I needed to be. Um, so I ended up going down there and then, then I was uh, discharged from the ICU so I could kind of come and go. But yeah, it was kind of like, the more blood tests they did on my daughter, it was kind of like red flag, red flag, red flag, red flag. Like it wasn't, she was healthy in a sense that she was breathing on her own. She was maintaining her blood sugar. She was doing all that jazz, but there were, she she was not a well baby. She looked really healthy. She wasn't healthy. Um, And so it ended up, we were at Maitland Hospital. We had to transfer to the John Hunter for her to go into the NICU there because they have a, you know, specialist hematology team there for the blood stuff. And so she was born at 3 a.m. on Monday, 3.03, 3. 
and she and I both transferred to the hospital uh, to the John Hunter at 9 p.m. that day. So this was all in the space of 24 hours, but it was a really full-on day. Um, And at that time, looking back, I really didn't understand the extent of the seriousness of what was going on with her at all. I was just, I honestly felt like I felt the the blood loss like I felt super lightheaded like it was kind of like but it was kind of like I couldn't let anyone see that I wasn't okay because then I wouldn't have been able to sit next to my baby and just you know being mm. be in the presence of her I would have to go and maybe lay down for a little bit so yeah she was transferred to um John Hunter I was transferred to John Hunter as well um that I'd only pumped for the first time like 12 hours or 15 hours after she was born um, like I was like, oh my goodness, I don't know if my milk's going to come in. I don't know what's going to happen. Like at the time I didn't really care. I was kind of like, oh, it just, whatever. It doesn't matter. Like whatever. Cause my first birth, um, uh, my first daughter, I really wanted to breastfeed. I really, really did. And then part of that early postpartum trauma, being exhausted, not sleeping. I, she had some, we had, you know, we didn't have an easy time of it. And I didn't even feel like I had the stamina to continue. So she was formula fed from like two weeks old or something. And it was one of the biggest thing I grieved from that whole experience is just not feeling like I, I could and not feeling like I had the energy reserves to just kind of work on it, if you get what I mean. Um, like mm. it wasn't to say I didn't have support. It was like I just didn't have the energy for it. And it was really, really sad. And it's something that I still grieve now when I look back on it. But um and so I was kind of like, okay, well, I guess maybe I have another bottle fed baby. Like that's not the big, that's not the biggest deal. Like, you know, I've done that before. And, you know, she was in the NICU at the John Hunter. I don't know how long it took me to be discharged from the hospital, maybe only a day or two at the John. Um, and she did four and a half days under phototherapy lights. So that meant that there was no breastfeeding happening. Um, mm. Some of the nurses let me hold her sometimes, but it really just depended on who you got. Um, and I didn't realize at the time that it wasn't something that I could kind of like demand because they were kind of like, she, she can't come under the lights. And then when it was really explained to me, it was like, she can come out of the lights. It just means she might need to go under there for longer. So if you get her out for half an hour, maybe it might add a couple of hours to her overall light Mm. time, which I, you know, if I had known that I would have got her out, you know, every couple of hours to cuddle it for half an hour, because that would have meant so much to me because, you know, we're not talking about, you know, out, you know, three or four hours separation or even 12 hours separation. We're talking like pretty well days of basically no contact. And that was really, really hard, to be honest. Um, she was also injured on day two of life. She received um, an extravasation injury to her foot. So part of all mm. the blood work that she got, so she got, um, I think she got one blood transfusion, two platelets transfusions as part of her um, blood issues that she had. And then, um, part of that as well was calcium uh, was another thing that she got and so the calcium was going into her foot I think there was it was somewhere between one and two days old I don't know exactly when it happened but the IV that was in her foot dislodged and the calcium um, went into her tissue and it burnt her because calcium burns and so yeah so she she now has a scar that she's gonna have forever and that was actually one of the reasons that on day, you know, nine and 10, we were still stuck in the NICU because of this injury that had happened as to, you know, who was going to look at it and who was going to look after it. Uh, as in like, whether it's going to be the plastics people or the wound people and how often we were going to need to come back to the hospital. It was just, you know, even once the platelets were kind of like, you know, as soon as she came out of the lights, um, she maintained her bilirubin levels. She was all good in that way. But the platelets took a bit to come back up and then there was this injury that we were 
you know, trying to figure out what to do with. And so during that time she was mostly bottle fed and then we were, we did really well in, uh, I guess, breastfeeding once she came home. Um, so we managed to get that on track, which is really, really nice. Mm. But it meant that our postpartum that was meant to be, you know, we had a quite a difficult postpartum first time around. But, and so this time around, I was like, okay, my husband was having six weeks off work. Um, I'd had like, you know, all these meals prepared. I had not a plan, but like a bit of a plan of like different people I could call on different days to come and, you know, play with my toddler or take her out. Or, you know, I was planning for this really, really peaceful and slow postpartum. And then we end up at, you know, sitting in the NICU chairs for like 11 days in a row and then Mm. coming home and going back to the hospital. There was a period for the first two weeks coming home where we were at the hospital like every third day for like blood tests and um, to get the dressing on her uh, foot changed. She ended up in a cast for a couple of weeks um, Mm. just to kind of make sure she wasn't pulling her leg up too much. Yeah, it was really, really hard. So I guess then that was kind of like with the cast on, you can't bath them. So you can't, you know, have that bonding experience. I couldn't put her in the carrier or anything. And then even after that, I couldn't put her in the carrier because it's the inside of her ankle. So it was kind of rubbing on me. But yeah, so I guess our postpartum experience this time around, I really wanted it to be different. I really wanted it to be peaceful and really nice, but it was just really, really intense with, I guess, the medical stuff going on. Mm. And so, yeah, so birth itself, really quick and I think even that it's been really hard to be honest um looking back and reflecting on the birth and being able to process and reprocess what happened and you know because a couple of reasons like it was really really quick and I don't know if I view it as a really good outcome or a not ideal outcome because um it wasn't what I wanted it also there was a lot of non-consensual stuff that happened as well that's really not on but also I got my vaginal birth and I'm really happy about that. And then it's mm. hard to come back and process it as well because we've had a lot of postpartum issues that really feel like they've taken up a lot of space for me rather than the birth itself, if you get what I mean. It's been quite a time. <laughs> yeah, no, it sounds yeah. like it. Mm. I think I hear that a lot, um, you know, people tell their stories about having had a VBAC and then, you know, circumstances, postpartum, that kind of thing, and you don't, often get that space and time to really process and go, this is how I feel. I can understand how that would be, yeah, hard to sort of navigate in your mind how you feel about all that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so your five five months postpartum now, you said, so how are you feeling now and how is your baby now and, and how's everything going? So she is really good. She is, um, it's funny actually, they, my two kids, right, so they, um, their due dates were two years and six weeks apart. But with the dates that uh, having one post-dates baby and one preemie baby, they're actually, their birthdays are actually three days apart. Oh, um, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. So it was it's hard not to make comparisons because my first daughter was really, I guess, you know, ahead of the curve with everything. And now I have a little five-month-old that doesn't even look like she's five months old. Like she very much is very um, young, if you get what I mean. Um, but also they're like kind of the same age, two years apart. It's so funny, but, um, a lot of stuff like, you know, stuff with a physio for her scar, which is really good. I'm doing really well. It's been really difficult to be honest. Um, I guess physically recovering post, 
uh, episiotomy. Episiotomy is something that I'd never even given a couple of seconds thought to before, to Mm. be honest. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such an interesting feeling and experience that I'd never heard anyone explain before. So that was really hard, just how long, I guess, everything felt to feel, I guess, normal and then still finding that it just feels like, I guess, that kind of postpartum time because we didn't have that relax that I really wanted. It's been like we've been going slow for a long time. (laughs) So it's only Mm. been now in the last month or so that it's like, all right, well, let's get out and let's do things. Like let's do lots of things and let's just fill our lives with kind of normal stuff whereas before it was like anytime I had a second without my older daughter around I was like all right well I'm just gonna sit I'm just gonna Mm. sit and I'm gonna do all the sitting and recovering that I didn't get to do um so that in itself has been really nice though that I have prioritized rest in my extended postpartum as much as possible but yeah she's doing really well um she's otherwise a really healthy normal baby and um yeah we managed to establish breastfeeding which is really nice um we kind of got, we didn't get lucky. We worked hard, but in a way it was kind of like she really wanted to breastfeed. And I was like, okay, well, we've, we're just going to sort it out. Like you really seem to want to breastfeed. So we're <laughs> going to a hundred percent work it out. And we did. And that's been really, really nice. It's been quite a healing experience from my first, not being able to do mm. that and just not having, yeah, like I said, not having the energy to work it out to then mm-hmm. now being like, all right, well, we just got to do it you know, watching my older daughter be a big sister. It's so, it's so nice. It just feels Mm. really like, I don't know if my family's done or not, but it feels like a nice little kind of closed bubble right now. There's a lot of, there's a lot of love going around. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful to hear. I'd love to know, did your planned VBAC change things for you? Like, I know you've sort of talked like a lot about the growth that you've done and, you know, your breastfeeding journey, but is there anything else you sort of want to speak to about how your VBAC journey, yeah, change things for you and, and what they might be? I guess it more so than anything else really reaffirmed that um, I guess how capable my body is. It's really easy when to when I think, you know, practically, when I talk about my scar and my, having the T incision especially, it's kind of like, oh, you know, I have this scar that other people don't have. And so, you know, for my body to be able to have a baby vaginally, it's always going to be a little bit harder. Like that, that concept's not lost on me. So I think it's just been a really nice reminder that, you know, that we are really capable and that, you know, just to really trust and to trust in that, even though that this experience, my first experience left me scarred in a lot of ways, that that doesn't necessarily limit me in my future experiences and that I can still have, the birth that I want and that, you know, for example, I um with the really short contractions, it's one of the things um, another midwife actually said to me um, when I was pregnant, she said, you know, you might end up with a really quick labor. You might end up with a really long labor. You know, you have to trust that your body um, knows that there's a scar there and it's, your uterus is going to contract accordingly and do only mm. what your body's capable of doing. It was really interesting. And, um, and so I look back now and I think, okay, I had these weird 10 second contractions. Like I've never heard anyone say they've had 10 second contractions before. Maybe Mm. that was my body's way of birthing my baby. Like that's what, maybe that's what my uterus needed. And, um, so it's given me another level of trust in my body that, you know, I am capable and that if we, you know, just kind of let our bodies do our things that, that we, that we can do it, that it's not, Mm. you know not limited it's just maybe it might look a bit different or maybe it won't but um yeah it's reaffirmed a lot of trust that I have in myself 
Yeah. Oh, beautiful. And yeah. I'd also, we'd love to know as well, what would you go back and tell your pre-VBAC self and what would you like to impart on other women planning a VBAC? Definitely just that um, it's possible. But not only is possible, it's so uh, it's so within your reach <laughs> um, <laughs> that it's not, a, it's not outside, it's not a stretch, it's just it's just birth. Um, and, you know, if you let yourself, you know, trust yourself and you believe in yourself that you can do it, then maybe that the mind is the hardest thing to convince that it's just going to happen and that you will get it and you will get that euphoric feeling because it's just right there. If you, if you let it happen, it's right there. Mm. Oh, I love that. Thank you. So um, did your sort of journey did that inspire you to to start your business or sort of how did that all come about? And I'd love to um for you to tell our listeners a bit about what you're doing. Um yeah, with your with your it's your birth story book, isn't it? Your business name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's right. So that kind of came about um as definitely part of my healing journey after my first, you know, really traumatic birth. I was always worried about my first daughter, about what she would think of us or herself when she ideally would watch her siblings be born at home. Um, And so it was really important for me to be able to explain her birth to her and talk about birth really openly and normally with her, but also kind of throw in that ours was a bit hard, (laughs) that that we'd had a bit of a hard time. Just one night, it was just off the back of talking to a friend, I just went home and just started writing uh, my birth story out for my daughter I didn't intend to turn it into a book or anything at the time I just started writing it and I realized how easily it just kind of came out in a childlike way so it starts with like you know hey do you remember the day you were born it was you know the whatever of May and the weather was starting to get cold like just kind of talking so casually to her and spoke about you know the contractions feeling really big in mummy's tummy and that you were working really hard to move down and you know all that kind of stuff and it felt very uh, just so natural to me and it felt so nice. And then I remembered that I had all these, I'd actually booked a birth photographer and I had all these beautiful labour photos. Mm. And I thought, oh, maybe I'll just put the words with the photos and, you know, make a pretty book. Like I may as well. It was coming up to my daughter's birthday. And so I kind of started to put photos with words and I was really happy with how I was looking and I realised that to actually get a book like that printed just was really, really hard. So I ended up getting it printed overseas and it was really, really expensive. And as soon as I got it and I read it to her, I actually said, it was funny. We had my my daughter's birthday party the next weekend and I took the book and I told everyone, I'm going to make these books. <laughs> and I said it like, you know, I'd only had it for a couple of days. And I said, see this book, I'm going to make a website and parents are going to be able to make these books for their kids because this is just amazing. Like, you know, and I was showing everyone, and everyone was like, oh, that's so nice. Like it's so, you know, because it's a, it's a sad story and everyone had known that I had struggled with, you know, I guess that it was a long recovery. I was very open about my situation and how I was feeling about it and how difficult it was. And yeah, so I kind of just declared that I was doing it, (laughs) which I'm glad that I did because to actually get to the point of saying that I was going to do it and then having my website be live, which was nearly nine months later, that was so, Mm. so many challenges along the way that I'm so glad I declared that I was doing it. Otherwise Mm. I just, it would have, there were so many times it would have been easier to just stop. But yeah, I wanted a book that wasn't just kind of like a, photo book I wanted it to be um hard copy pages I wanted it to be really sturdy so that people could actually you know 
my daughter at the time, she would just kind of rip pages out of books if they were paper pages. Mm. And I just didn't want that. I didn't want people to, I wanted it something that people could just go to and read. And then, so yeah, that's where your birth story book came from. And I, you know, started my Instagram page and I just started talking about birth and um, I guess birth trauma in general and how we can talk to kids about, you know, their difficult births as well, because, you know, there's a lot of birth trauma that happens. Um, you know, mm. you would know there's just, it's, it's, it happens, it's happening everywhere. And I think when we're traumatized, it's hard to talk to our kids about exactly what happens without just kind of going, oh yeah, no babies are born. You know, you came out of my vagina or you came out of my tummy and kind of that's it. Um, mm. Whereas I think it's just a really nice to be able to say, hey, this is how you were born and this is how I felt. And this is who was mm. there. And this is what time it was. And, you know, here's us when you were just born and, I just think it's really nice. So yes, I do have a website um, where parents can go on and make their own books and um, yeah, they get printed in Australia and I bind them together. They have a beautiful wooden spine and um, yeah, it's been a really, it's been really difficult to kind of get that all up and running. There's been a lot of challenges, but it's ultimately really, really rewarding to see, you know, people put the energy into like you know making making something like that for their kids and then knowing that you know they've got something that's so special that they're probably going to keep forever that just says you know exactly how they were born from the eyes of their parents it's really nice mm. oh it sounds so beautiful I want to order two mm. for my children because I feel like <laughs> I feel like little kids are so curious aren't they and I think to have it in a way that almost can just slot into their bookshelf just kind of like any other book in a way that's like oh yeah, it's just a story and it's your story and you know yeah. you can interact with it and engage with it and no I love that that's yeah, yeah. so beautiful that's such a oh, good idea thank you <laughs> thank you amazing so where can people find you and and um, place their orders and and things Yes. Okay. So best place to um, look for us is on Instagram. The Instagram page is your birth story book and there'll be a link there to our website. You can go on and check it out, but they've got lots of photos and videos on our Instagram page of what the kind of, what the books look like. No, beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Tiani. It's been such a pleasure. I feel like your story, like there's so much wisdom that people can gain and so much inspiration and I feel like the way you speak about it and your journey to healing after your first birth and everything, I feel like it will give people a lot of hope and a lot of yeah, inspiration and pleasure to listen. So thank you so much. I so appreciate it. Oh, lovely. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to Australian VBAC Stories. Please help us grow our community and rate, review and subscribe so more stories can be shared. If this episode has brought up difficult or distressing feelings for you, please know there are resources that can help. Additionally, if you've experienced mistreatment or disrespectful care and want to know what options are available to you, there are organisations that can support you. You can find these details listed in the show notes. Until next time, you've been listening to Australian VBAC Stories.